Welcome back to the Brew Theology Podcast. Tonight, Janelle and I are with Rob and Dylan. Welcome. So, you guys Hi. have been on the podcast before. People know hey you. Guys. You're famous. Yeah, you're eternally archived already out there. Dylan wrote the content for tonight. So as I told somebody last week at the pub, if you have issues with this content, you can blame Dylan because tonight we'll probably talk about scapegoating. And now Dylan did a good job and we'll put him on the spot just a bit and then we'll have a dialogue. So this is about religion and politics, getting things out of context, using one's religion for their political agendas or maybe the other way around. And there'll be lots of rabbit trails and holes and it'll be fun. We Are do we have, doing some of that this week in St. Louis? So this week, by the time you're listening to this, this week will be like four weeks down the yeah. road. So what's happening in St. Louis? So the United Methodist Church is meeting to decide if LGBTQI members will be in full standing in the church. And as of right now, it's not going so great. So we just want you to know out there, our listeners, that we see you and we love you. And you do deserve a place to worship and to lead and to minister. And uh, we're in your corner all the way, 100%. Yeah, from what I understand, and we'll know more when you're actually listening to this in the future, is that there was that vote of the one church. Yep. And it was um, voted, It was not voted in favor of the one church. And then there was a traditional church vote, and it was more of a conventional, traditional stance. So uh, it's inevitable that the UMC, pro- well, I say inevitable, it will probably split. It is splitting. It has been splitting. And we've got a lot of friends out there who are UMC clergy and in, in the ministry in that world and who are parishioners who um, are probably going to leave that world. So, yeah, it's a, it's a tough scenario for sure. Uh, okay, so on that, on that sad note, uh, we will talk about politics and religion. Here are some guidelines. We'll do some announcements, but uh, the guidelines that we have in any kind of heated, tense conversation, we always go through them in Denver and, and across actually the country because uh, it's important to remind ourselves, even if we've been brewing theology for four years. So first is no soapbox is allowed. Nobody gets the last word. Please be passionate, but you don't have to be preaching at the end. Number two, respect all others and their viewpoints. Three, extend courtesy by listening well. That's what we're doing. We're learning as we're listening. Four, everything is up for discussion, which is why we have many rabbit trail holes. Don't be a jerk. And there are other other colorful words, adjectives, adverbs, and nouns you can put in there. Yeah. yeah. So we have the New Story Festival. By the time you're listening to this, we may even be in Austin. So this it should th- be th- this announcement. Like we, yeah, it, we could be there. We as may you- even be doing live podcasts from there by this time. Mm-hmm. That could happen. So if you're going to the New Story Festival, you need to come find our booth and chat with us and get your own, get the very first set of purple Brew Theology koozies. I was very excited when I clicked on that purple, they, and then I, re- I pressed the send button, and they're headed to Austin. So Sweet. And we may bring some back for the Denver people, if you're listening. Maybe. But, you know, purple is a hot color in Austin. Next... May the 4th be with you. Altruist, coming up, Saturday, one-day event, six faith leaders, the, the world's prominent world religions, and Seedstock Brewery, which is Dylan's favorite, from what I understand. It is not my, not my number one favorite in Denver, but it might be my number two favorite in Denver. Right. Hey, number number two, it's worth it. It's a, it's a very affordable event. You're going to hear from faith leaders, interact with them. There's going to be conversation. The Urban Peak is going to be in the house. We're going to support them, as well as Denver's The Table. 
and the Interfaith Alliance of Colorado. So yep. come one, come all, fly in. And since it's May the 4th and that Cinco de Mayo weekend, our community will be game to hanging out after the fact. So there will be after yeah. partying happening. And somebody had asked me, well, it's May the 4th. Can we do Star Wars stuff? I go, yeah, sure. you'll, you'll have the whole night after we're finished. You know, get your get your lightsabers. And since Cinco de Mayo is coming up the next day, you can hang around for some tequila. And tacos. You know a great taco place. Yes. In fact, I know many great taco places. All right. And I, yeah, I was on a taco mission about a year ago, and I'm like hitting all the Westward's favorite taco joints. Ryan, you need to give me better places to eat tacos. I've been to Adelita's. It's fantastic. But I need more places. There are many. And there's also Tamale Thursday and Chimichanga Wednesday and Margarita Monday. We can go on. We're going to talk about politics tonight. You guys know my story. I'm going to have a new intro, by the way. It's going to be short. It's going to say, I'm Ryan. I grew up Southern Baptist. I'm now a Christian who likes to cultivate interfaith conversation. And that's it. Whoa, dude. That's it. I kind of like that. Wow. It's simple. People have heard the Anabaptist method you costal, but this is like, this is kind of really where I'm at now. Yeah. Don't say I'm not a Christian because I am, but I like to cultivate the interfaith dialogue. That's, that's where my heart's at. All right. I'm Janelle, and I should break out that I'm agnostic who still loves Jesus, but I'll just stick with progressive Christian for now. I'm Rob. Uh, grew up uh, grew up Roman Catholic. Uh, still consider myself Christian. Still consider myself Catholic in a lot of ways, but I'm all about community, eclectic, uh, pluralist, um, interfaith community, I think is awesome. Lauren, do you want to say hi? Hi, I just was kind of almost fell on the ground because Ryan's not saying metho jucostole or dabdo. This is a monumental that. night. This is the first time Ryan has changed his label in over three years. No big tints today. Okay. No, because the minute you say those kinds of things and people are like, one, it's just another conversation and then, they, and then you get labeled. Well, uh, I am Dylan, and I was also raised Southern Baptist, and I am backslid and have become Woo! now <laughs> a, a good old Episcopalian, and uh, love that. So, Backsliders for Jesus. Backsliders for progressive Jesus. Yes. So before or after you have backslidden from the dear Lord, uh, the separation of church and state. Where were you at before and where are you now? And Dylan, since you wrote the content, let's start there and then tell us why this topic is important to you. Wow. Okay. Um, where was I at before on separation of church and state? I don't think that I was anywhere um, growing up on that. I don't think that's something that really crossed my mind. I think I took it for granted a little bit. Um, and being raised in my ultra conservative small town community, it was kind of just not it it wasn't talked about not because it wasn't there but it wasn't talked about because everyone just assumed that that church and state were kind of one i think without really consciously having that thought um we certainly did not have separation of church and state in our schools because we had preachers come to the school sometimes and that was just a normal thing uh where am i now with that uh i definitely think about it quite a lot more than I did even just a couple of years ago. Uh, it's pretty important to me because I think that we all need to live in a society that works for everybody and not just for those who follow one religion. Um, so that's kind of where the whole um, 
idea came from a little bit. Uh, it, it just, it's been something that really has weighed on me a lot, uh, as a Christian, as a progressive Christian, particularly, um, seeing the stuff, uh, that I see all the time in the news and, uh, in society and out of, you know, friends and family sometimes, uh, that, you know, is how people from other countries and other religions really think about American Christians nowadays. And it bothers me because I know so many people who don't fit that mold and that doesn't, that's not the religion that I follow. Um, and so that really bothered me and, and I got to thinking about it and just, you know, realize like how often uh, religion is just kind of used as a tool to suit people's purposes. Um, and, um, and specifically how often like a Bible verse will just be taken totally out of context. Um, that's something that I found very frequently growing up and didn't realize until much later because, you know, I didn't have the context because the only time you ever really read the Bible was in Bible study or with the preacher there. And, and, um, to actually put it all in context yourself was actually not that common. Um, so, it, it bothers me a lot to see people do that and to see arguments based on, you know, a one or two little quotes from the Bible instead of the, the whole paragraph or the whole passage that's going on there uh, and understand everything that's going on around it and the culture that's around it. Um, and so as kind of a, a mild history buff, I thought, well, how often has this happened through history? And I could remember a few specific times just from, you know, history classes and stuff that I took in high school and college um, where, you know, it had been um, really said um, that, you know, certain leaders had just kind of used faith to their advantage. And uh, so I thought that that would be a really good topic because I think it's relevant today. So you listed a few key figures here. King Henry VIII, obviously, is a big one that we can all think about. And the good things that he did and the bad things that he did. And the Catholic Church doesn't know what to do with him. Queen, well, maybe maybe Rob can answer that one. Queen Elizabeth, um, whom, Dylan, you're probably more, you know, she created the Anglican Episcopal Church. Actually, it was King Henry that, that started it. But she made it. A th- she made it. Yeah, yeah, she really made it. And then you have in here Adolf Hitler. That's interesting. <laughs> and then ISIS, the Islamic State. And then we'll talk about, there's probably lots of figures. So I'm just kind of curious, any other like key key figures throughout history that y'all can think of that's, that's definitely used a religious agenda for political purposes and things that really changed the trajectory of civilization as they knew it back then that had rippling effects to possibly today in Western culture? Or we even Eastern, if you've ever been around the Eastern world too, that's fine. Yeah, I mean, the the uh, figures and and groups you wrote about were distinctly Western, which I think is totally fine. And I mean, this is such a rich topic. I mean, uh, we didn't even get into like you left, you know, the Roman Empire out of this, which I think is like totally fine because, like, what what are you gonna do? You can't write six volumes of thousand six thousand page volumes about how uh, religion uh, is uh, conflated with politics, et cetera. So I I like that you chose Western figures and that you know King Henry the Eighth, Queen Elizabeth the uh, First, all big implications on um, the U.S. and like the development of, of the United States. Adolf Hitler, huge figure in 
you know, history in the U S and Western history in general, and then, and then ISIS too. So, um, I'm excited to, to dig in a little bit. No, ironically, I almost had the Kim dynasty in there as well. Um, but I, I ended up kind of leaving them out just because I was in a bit of a hurry, but, uh, you're right. Like the Roman empire there, this list could go on for miles. Constantine. And then I think, yeah, to point out, this isn't just a Western phenomenon. This happens in all countries with all religions at some point in time. How many lifetimes do you have to study this and put the notes together for Bruthiology? (laughs) Unless you're a Buddhist, probably exactly (laughs) one. (laughs) (laughs) It's nice. Yeah, even even like the the texts that we have, uh, those of us who are professed Christians, and we had this canon within that specific time period. What was influencing that was the Her- Herodian dynasty, and people, you know, you just sort of like you read the Bible thinking, oh well, it was just you know, fell out of the sky. Like no, I mean, it was it was in this very heated political climate, and Jesus was extremely political, and those who were writing on his behalf, because obviously, by the way, if you haven't read the Bible, Jesus didn't write a word. His followers and other people did. Uh, but yeah, you had the shadow of the Herodian Empire, which the bigger umbrella would be the Roman Empire, you know? So, gosh, where, where do you start? Do you go back to Egypt? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> any, any other figures that y'all can think of that you would say are, are huge historical figures that shaped? I, I could not society. possibly pronounce his name to save my life, but uh, the Egyptian pharaoh who... Um, basically turned Egypt into a uh, monotheistic country. Um, there are a lot of people who actually, you know, will, would say that he is actually even farther back, the founder of, of Judaism and really all, all monotheistic religions. So that's, I think, is, has a very strong implication as well. So Akhenaten. Janelle's got somebody. Who do you, sorry, who do you have, Janelle? Akhenaten is the pharaoh, according to Google. Google doesn't lie. It you know, especially does. when you go to Yelp and Sometimes. you look at reviews, <laughs> <laughs> experiential truth. It's a real thing. So, so do y'all feel that the modern world, Western society, it's been shaped by the religious and these political historical figures? And if so, how, what ways examples would be great? Yeah, I mean, it's well, so one of the things that jumps off the page to me is that, um, you know, really, uh, when we're talking about King Henry VIII, uh, in, in one of the most notorious examples of a ruler who, uh, at least in our sort of Judeo-Christian and American history, right, um, is, uh, you know, a story of a guy who was basically driven to push a whole uh, uh, nation, empire, um, written to, to a new... Uh, religious place based on the fact he couldn't receive an annulment from the Pope. I mean, so you've got these examples of entire, uh, religious sort of foundations being shifted and shaped based on ego, power, money. You know, the throne is the, is the seat of financial power in Britain and, uh, the Pope is the seat of power in the West. And so, I mean, it's just, it's all over, you know, every piece of this, um, in terms of what Dylan talked about, right? Like, so, uh, the shift, uh, to Protestantism, to the Anglican church in in England is, uh, you know, I mean, it's just pure 
religion, but it's also pure politics and it's also pure money. Um, I mean, you have to look at religion's connection to financial prosperity for these giant empires. And I mean, this is huge for uh, King Henry VIII, huge for Britain at the time, um, huge for Rome. So uh, the financial piece uh, in the empire and the, the seats of power is, is crazy too when you think about these figures that, that we're talking about. Yeah, what's, what's really interesting is that the, the moment in history when all this begins to take place, so you go back to, to Luther, and he was just like the right person at the right time. And so this Protestant Reformation that, that really Henry and Elizabeth inherited, it's, it's prime for the picking. Everything from people are the reading, there's print, uh, the nation state. Uh, suddenly, like, you know, everything from like these uh, popes at the time, and, you know, throughout history, like, they're like being people are woke, if you will, to like, these guys aren't as holy as we thought they were. <laughs> and uh, new philosophies are, are coming about. Uh, it's almost like f- free thinking. So then, you know, the enlightenment, renaissance, all this stuff is happening. Is It's it's a, almost like a, it's like the perfect era for uh, all this to go down. And so then by the time, you know, Americans come out, Americans, before America was America, right? Yeah, yeah. Before, you know, the people who weren't Americans yet, when they came over, they're like, um, you couldn't ask for a better time to set sail across to see, you know, and to, to say, we are going to have a, a bit of a separation and let's talk about that separation right now. So do we think that there, that there was a legitimate separation of church and state? Last week, somebody had said that this is a relatively new thing at one of the tables. And some of us would say, ah, maybe not, probably uh, there are some nuances and some particulars we need to find. What is a separation of church and state? Well, we probably should back up just a little more to like, who came to America and what was kind of the religious foundation. And so what we're looking at is, is the formation of Puritanism, which was a reform movement inside of Anglicanism because they were being oppressed because they were trying to draw the church back towards a more Puritan and I guess it'd be fair to say legalistic form of religion. And so that became kind of the foundation of the 13 colonies and what was going on there. And so we, even at our very beginning, America kind of had this, its own unique version of Christianity that was being spread around. And, you know, there was variation in that and not everyone was fully Christian or, or not evangelically Christian in the way we would put it today. So not all the founding fathers, this will be, seen as controversial to some, but the founding fathers were not all Christian. Some of them didn't really even believe much about stuff that was orthodox, Um, but it was the tradition and it was what formed and shaped the United States. And so I think it's important to recognize that. that, Yeah, absolutely. You know, we were at our core, a religious political entity before we were an entity in some ways. Yes. I mean, there is some naivety today that says like, you know, the, the original people who founded our country, that, that they're, they weren't as religious as you think they were. Like, well, no, everybody was. Even even Henry and Elizabeth and all these people who were politically charged. Like, I mean, everyone. So interestingly, everybody was politically religious. And, they, and the separation thing, was, it was yeah. new. Like, this was a new thing. So then the Puritans are saying, we actually want to be holy because we've seen the corruption that's happened over here. 
Yeah. Um, so now we want to be the city on a hill. In some ways, you got to give them a little bit of, we have to give them more credit. We look back today and we say, oh, puritanical culture, there's so many things we can look at that's, that's bad. But considering the context of which they came from, hard to blame them. Should be complicated, man. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's fascinating. And it's, uh, it is, it's also, and this is where, uh, this is where I think it, you know, we battle a lot of the similar things today too. Like religion was an easy uh, tool to, to utilize, you know, for social order in, in England, uh, you know, after the, after the Protestant Reformation, right? Because uh, it was also one of the most difficult things to, uh, it was one of the most personal things for people in their day-to-day, like, family lives. So to uh, to utilize religion was a really powerful tool because who was going to deny, who was going to deny the Anglican church or who was going to deny, you know, outside of England, Rome? Who was going to def- deny the Pope? Um and to think about like the the veracity of doing such a thing um, was, I mean, crazy to think about at the time. It's it is nice to have the freedom to not get burned at the stake for having some heretical views. You were never in danger of that. <laughs> it's true. Just saying that is, from what I understand, a primarily female phenomenon. Maybe not, but in in the but that's. Burn at the stake certainly has a has a a witch kind of yeah in the, in the US, more female in the US. Guys, sure. just just look at what was yeah but look at what was happening over in Europe I mean men and people were being slaughtered yes. yeah sure sure <laughs> yeah, absolutely yeah, yeah. Well, one person I left out was Queen Elizabeth's uh, older sister Mary by some is Bloody Mary who burned a lot of people at the stake for whatever she felt like basically um. Let's talk for a second about Adolf Hitler. Uh, so we jumped a few hundred years, but I'm I'm with you. I did not realize this, uh, and I don't really know how extensive this is. But uh, at one of our more recent uh, brew theology meetups, uh, when we had Pam Eisenbaum there, she alluded to um, the Holocaust being kind of directly related to the creation of, um, of the state of Israel, which I had, did not even realize that those two things were related until she mentioned that. Um, so I think that's a very large way in which we've really been <laughs> influenced by this guy even today, because I mean, look, uh, American politics and Israeli politics are like, you know, really hand in hand, close knit. I mean, it's a hot button issue for pretty much everybody these days. So, oh yeah, I don't know if we want to go there. This could get dangerous. <laughs> yeah, we are uh, we are on the line. So whatever we say is out there. Any anytime you talk about you know Israel in America, it's 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 a it's a, it's not. I don't even think it's it's a conversation. It is a debate. It's kind of like talking about abortion, which we could talk about later. It's it's like, well, for some people, even we talked earlier, I mean, um, same-sex marriage. These are are such strong, debated topics, um, but they're highly politically, religiously charged in every way. Sure. How do we get around that? Great question, Ryan. I think we have to, something that our group does very, very well is we have to stop and listen 
And so like one of the gentlemen at my table this last time talked about visiting Palestine and Israel and trying to communicate, just share with some, some conservative friends his experience and that, that his reflection on that was that he couldn't even, like they, they couldn't even hear about his quote unquote vacation. Like if you want to call it that, because it was just not, they weren't even in a place to, to hear the story, the, the recounting. And I think that that, that's a really important step with any of these topics. You, you have to stop and actually listen to what they're saying. What are their, what are their fears that are behind what they're talking about? What are their worries? What, what are the future things or the traditions that are being impacted by their point of view or the challenge to their point of view? And I think that if we can hear those things, even if we don't agree, it's at least a place to start having a relational conversation. But I think we get so divided that that becomes almost impossible. And like our culture is being trained to not do this. So I just heard, I don't even know what show it is. Sorry, NPR, but they were talking about Twitch and the culture of watching live videos on there. And the kind of like, um, I can't remember the right word, but the trolling that goes on there. And then there's an article out today from vice about being a Facebook moderator and the kinds of things that they have to like train them to face that they're going to see every day for eight hours a day and the mental health toll and the physical toll that it takes on those workers. So like that means that we've got a lot of people in our culture that are practicing being bad to each other and not listening to each other. And so I think pausing and being willing to listen, that's gotta be the first step. And if we can't do that, I, I mean, like I don't, you know, I will almost, I will rarely talk to anyone about abortion because you don't want to have a conversation. You just want to tell me your perspective. And I'm that, that isn't something I'm interested in. So. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I feel like you're, you're cutting to the heart of it, Janelle, which I like. Um, because I probably learned it from you. <laughs> you're cutting to the heart of it. Cause like, cause I mean, what, what we're, I mean, a lot of what we're discussing is like, what's not the, a provocative question probably is what's not uh, influenced in politics and society by religion. And we could have like all sorts of um, go around the circle debates that, you know, nothing is, you know, nothing is not, you know, is, is not influenced by um, religion in terms of politics, money, et cetera. But um, there was a point made by a gentleman at our table who was a former pastor um, uh, he called himself a recovering evangelical at our table, and he was discussing the the religion of politics, right? The the mm -hmm. conflation of religion and whatever political uh, can, pe part of the continuum you're on, and the religion of being on the left, and the religion of being on the right. Um, and these are obviously like you know hundreds and hundreds, centuries old conversations and debates, but. It was interesting. We we were trying to figure out what types of conversations we could have with people that are not religious in nature. Um, and one of them was like talking to people about what their biggest fears or their yeah. biggest hopes and dreams are. Um, and and if we can if we can 
listen with open ears to people discussing things like that or um, and share with people openly uh, what our true feelings are around those things. Like that's a step in the right direction. Plug the Parker Palmer book here, <laughs> uh, Healing the Heart of Democracy, Creating a Politics Worth the Human Spirit. But uh, in a lot of ways we get down to like how can we listen to, to one another because, um, yeah, I mean, that's a that's an interesting uh, an interesting conversation and debate. So you're saying we have to have humility, sure, and we have to be patient mm-hmm. with ourselves and with the other, whomever, whomever that is, and then also realizing that we are we are more than our ideas and our opinions. But how? Here's the however: when you can say that, but what if someone's opinions and their thoughts is driven by this God? that's in this Bible that has this religion all around it um, to get anyone outside of that, 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 that becomes their person. Like, so sure. their opinions out, really, you can't, you can't separate the opinions and the thoughts from the individual Yeah, because the, well, because of like the oneness of, of the Christ that that person believes it doesn't have to be Christ. It could be any, any God deity or whatever you want to sure. call it. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think the one and this sounds snarky, but, it it changes the conversation is when you look at someone who says, well, God willed it. And I'm like, so you're in a relationship with someone that would hurt you on purpose. Do you think that's healthy? That'll change the conversation. Maybe that's not as approachable as what we're talking about, but I mean, the God, the God wills is a really tough one. There's other ways to say it, but like, like you're, if you're describing bad behavior from your deity towards yourself or others, why, why do you want to have a relationship with that person? I understand your point, Janelle, yeah. but like, I also, the, 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 um, places I run into pro- the biggest problems are talking with, uh, privileged, you know, privileged yeah. white middle-class folks who aren't in an abuse, you know, an abusive relationship with, a, in a personal way, right? right like with right. their partner or with a parent or with a child or whatever the case. Now, don't get me wrong. It's not that it doesn't happen around them in some ways or that their politics can be abusive in ways that they're just not yeah. connecting, but it's not so immediate. And so that's where, you know, I run into problems cause it's like, you, you know, you, you um, have some discussions, right? Like not trying to beat people over the head with some of the ills going on in our world, but you have some discussions and people are like, you know, well, Jesus is here for those people too, if they want to claim him, you know, and et cetera, et cetera, which I, which is an argument that's like really difficult for me to like, okay, all right, deep breaths, here we go yeah. and try and reenter the conversation in a yeah. productive way. But I think that's an interesting question because uh, I think it relates. Number two here says, do you think that Separation of church and state has been an effective method for preventing religious agendas from being pushed through. I would nope. say unequivocally and the no. people said no. <laughs> so then why, why not, I think is an interesting question. It makes sense when you run across the typical, this is the typical, and I'm going to put my quotes around here, and I'm not saying it's all of you. When I say you, I'm saying atheist, okay? Because it's like somebody said, all of Christians. But it makes sense why some atheists, okay, say there shouldn't be any religious agenda in any politics. I, I get that argument. I really do. Sure. It's a it's a very uh, binary, naive sort of way of thinking. Yeah, but I'm kind of when you when you start 
trekking down that road. And we've all heard, I've had atheist friends who said that too. Like, uh, like they're like, fuck religion and politics. I'm like, you know, I get what you're saying, but it's impossible. Sure. Well, cause we're human. Like humans have always had some view of the sky that is something other than me or something that is beyond me, something that controls fertility or crop growth or the weather like that has been there as far back as we can see. So sure. I think to dream of a world with no religion is a really far stretch when I think we could create a world where religions work together well, and I mean, to speak for, to, to speak for the atheist who wants to throw their phone right now or, um, yeah. you know, hit their computer screen. We do love you. Uh, well, and like, you know, my experience discussing theology with atheists too, is that not, not a lot of them are super binary in their, no, in their no. thought process. And so, but what's interesting is having the conversation with, with some of my atheist friends about like. I'll, I'll call harken back to Tad delay. Shout out Tad. If you're hearing any of this, but you know, every Thad's or uh, Tad's argument, excuse me, is everything's theological. Like everything we're doing in the West is theological, which is partially kind of what we discussed earlier, just about the United States as a microcosm, but in the West and, and that might be true in the East too. I feel a little less in my element discussing that, but um, everything's theological and a lot of atheists I have conversations with will acknowledge that in some way. And I mean, atheism is, you know, uh, is a relationship with theism. Um, so, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's an interesting conversation too, because most, most atheists, when we get into theology that will acknowledge like, yeah, even my desire to be a good person because I'm an atheist who wants to be a good person and be a good neighbor and be good to people in my community is, um, that's like, uh, pretty, um, a pretty, there's a, there's a lot of theological basis for how our society and how the U S developed. Right. So that's another component too. So to love your neighbor as yourself is, is Judeo Christian. Mm -hmm. It's more Judeo and the Christians have hijacked it. But you know, the question is, and who is your neighbor that I think, I think any atheist agnostic would say, yes, they wouldn't go for the love your God part before that, but they would say to love your neighbor. That makes sense. Okay. There's a moral foundation there. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, another thing we have to consider when we're talking about separation of church and state and whether or not it's worked is that, uh, if we truly did take every bit of religion out of politics, that wouldn't necessarily be a good thing for everybody. Uh, it wouldn't necessarily make a more equal culture because then who's there to stick up for the the people who are less represented, right? It, there's no one to lobby for them. There's not a single Congress member who's going to be there saying, you know, well, don't forget about my religion too. They're going to be silenced, and uh, those those very small religions could just be kind of forced away, and there could be legislation created that tramples upon them. E- even if, and I'm not saying that that would be maliciously done, but if there's nobody there to bring up that point of view, then how would you expect lawmakers to be able to, um, you know, not trample on somebody's religion? Well, we do. I mean, we do have one example of this, and that's Anne Rand, and in Randianism. And I'm not an expert, but I have been around it quite a bit. But, I mean, you basically see a worldview where there is no religion. 
um, which was her was her intent. And you see, there there isn't mercy, and there isn't grace for the oppressed and the poor, because it just doesn't matter. Because it's a it's a highly capitalistic system that's about making money, and that's the priority. And um, unfortunately, a lot of people that believe in her philosophy are in structures of power right now. And I think that the outcome that we see is that is this continual reduction of care for those that are less than. And that that isn't, well, Jesus said the poor will always be with us. No, that's Atlas shrugged and you're being assholes. So, I mean, I think we have to, to recognize that the, the, one of one of the models we have that tried to build that turns out where they really don't care about people and that uh, they would say that of themselves. So well, that's, go ahead. Theology's not going anywhere. So we're safe from all that. I mean, we're, we're safe from theologic or we're, I'm sorry. We're safe from religious lists, um, society. It feels so interestingly uh, a lot of this came up uh, at our table on Thursday and uh, it was kind of like that there were some that were arguing that basically Europe was a religious list society and how terrible that was. And personally, I totally disagree with that, but um, I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. Do you think Europe is religious now? Yes. Yeah. Well, what is what is religion like? Do you do we have like a, a standard definition that we can all agree upon? Oh, that's interesting. Like, like I wonder, did they mean religious?less Like in the sense that the church is shrinking? There was some no, discussion no, no, no. about that in our table last week too. I, I think more on the the subject of like uh, of the legal matters and the government uh, was very you know kind of had stripped out everything to do with religion. Which I mean, to, there there's. There's, I'm not saying there's no argument to be made there. I just think that um, there was a very bleak view of it uh, that I heard that was that kind of made it sound like these are the godless folk, and I, I don't know if I agree with that. Yeah, I mean, I'm still like, I'm still saying it's hard for me, uh, and I know when Tad talks about everything's theological so who is who is this ted fellow rob yeah, tad delay wrote uh, the cynic and the fool the unconscious in theology and politics tad's a faculty member in denver uh and writes about theology and politics uh from a psychoanalysis background and uh he's great and and i'm still with like modern europe well the west the modern west is just cannot escape theological roots I mean, even if like, uh, it just feels like everything's definitely got a theological root, even if we're talking about it in secular ways, right? Like, um, and maybe I also don't, maybe that's not useful to say because I also don't intend, I don't say that to try and shut down the conversation about like modern Europe, but, um, it's hard for me individually and personally to go there when I'm like, gosh, everything in our modern West is just so wrapped up in theological root, even secular law. And I wonder too, like, so when you take the, the statistics in the U S 
there are so many people that will say they're Christian. But then when you separate out those that say they're Christian and those that participate in a religious organization, there's a, di- a big divergence there. Sure. And I, I wonder if, like, if we, we stripped away the, like, the, we give you the shadow of the doubt when you say you believe in Jesus, but you don't actually do anything with that. If we kind of stripped away those numbers, would we really be that different from Europe? Um, because we, in public life, we often tend to have a lot of cliches about Christianity and faith that are spouted. But, but then when you dig deeper underneath those things with people, sometimes there's nothing there. So, All you have to do is say you're Christian. And I'm not going to mention anybody in politics who said that. But in order to uh, remain in office and to have an office, you have to say that you are. You have to say you are. And this is why somebody had recent. This is not long ago in some other podcast. They had said that you know, they're, oh, who's what's going to be first? You know, a gay president or an atheist president? And everybody's like, oh, easy, a gay president. An atheist president will be the last person in in, in the Oval Office. All you got to do is you got to you just got to say it. Yeah, of course I'm a Christian. It doesn't matter what's underneath it, you know. So this is the scary thing. Capitalism, which you referred to earlier as a soul religion, if it's just mixed with a little bit of a mascot of Jesus, it's the most brilliant thing in the West. It's brilliant. Prosperity gospel, baby. Yeah, that might be the like most important advisor to a certain office in our country right now. So maybe that is a true color of what's going on. Because everybody can be rich, right, if you believe in Jesus? 